Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. As we begin this morning, I just want to look at that passage. We'll be looking at a number of scriptures this morning, so please have your Bible ready because we will be looking at several. Philippians 2, 1 to 8, very familiar portion of scripture. Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. Pride is an ugly thing, isn't it? Sure is. God has manifested it in a number of ways all over Scripture. Even as we saw in our study of Obadiah over the last month. As you know, pride began with Satan, which led to his downfall. We see that in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 through King Tyre. Also, it characterized his temptation of Eve in the garden that resulted in the fall of mankind. And so therefore, it is a major issue in each of our hearts being at the core of all sin that we see in the world. Remember that. Pride is at the core of all sin. And yet self-esteem is pushed and promoted by psychologists as they believe it produces healthiness in soul and mind. Instead, we need to think like Martin Luther who said, I am more afraid of Pope's self than of the Pope in Rome and all of his cardinals. Yeah. And why is that? C.J. Mahaney points out in his book on humility, its motive and ultimate purpose is to rob God of legitimate glory and to pursue self-glorification contending for supremacy with him. And so it's no wonder that God hates pride, right? And also because of its hurt and harm to others. So at no point should you become passive in regards to pride and think that you are somehow beyond its grip. <laughs> you may not think that. You may not say that, but often we act like it. I know I have. Instead, be aggressive by God's grace in putting it to death. And you can. I can. Why? 
because we have Christ. Yeah, we have everything necessary for life and godliness. Isn't that what it says in 2 Peter 1 in verse 3? That's not just a verse in the Bible that we can just read. No, it's very, very encouraging. You and I have everything necessary for life and godliness. And so we can overcome. The question is how? Well, this morning I want to share with you a number of principles to guide you, but it's not going to be exhaustive. In fact, I brought up a few resources with me just so that you know that beyond what I'm going to say today, you can read any one of these resources and you can find other principles for guiding you. In fact, we have this one by C.J. Mahaney, Humility, God's Greatness, True Greatness, yes. And I'm going to probably reference this a number of times uh, in the message this morning. But it will be on display out here uh, at the table. Also, we've got Humility, the Forgotten Virtue. All right, And then you've got The Blessing of Humility by Jerry Bridges. I've read all three of these. They're different, and yet they're very unique in, the, in and of themselves. And so I would encourage you to pick up all three of them and read them over the next year. Uh, it will be very helpful to you, as it has been for myself. Now, you might think that what I'm going to give you this morning is too much. <laughs> I'm going to give you ten principles. And you're going, oh my, you're usually preaching a three-point sermon. This is going to be ten points. All right, but I'm not going to take any more than three to four minutes on each one. We're going to move quickly through it. But you know, we're here to grow incrementally in this area. And so there might be two or three of these principles that hit home with you. Just listen carefully to everything that is said and examine your heart in light of all that you're receiving this morning Because my goal for you, my goal for myself, is that we might grow in humility through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have everything that's necessary for life and godliness. We want to bring Him glory. Amen? Amen. Well, first of all, let's just start where humility begins. And I believe you know the answer to that. Where does humility begin? This is the first principle. It's with salvation. Yes, humility begins with salvation. This is where you become painfully aware of your sin and your lost condition. Where you bow the knee of your heart before Jesus Christ. You submit yourself to Him as Lord and Savior. Your only hope for eternal life, which is made possible through His death and resurrection on your behalf. It begins with salvation. This brings us back to the very passage which we looked at last week. Do you remember? Luke chapter 18. A wonderful parable there. Go with me if you would. To Luke chapter 18. I want to read it again. Jesus is on his last trek to Jerusalem before he is crucified. And he's teaching a caravan of people, many of whom are religious people, who are trusting in themselves for salvation. And he shares this wonderful parable in Luke 18, beginning with verse 9. 
And he told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. That first verse there, and then the last one that we will read in verse 14, capture what Jesus wanted his listeners to understand. He goes on to say, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. He was declared righteous. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so, yes, humility begins with salvation, where we see our sin and our lost condition and we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. That's where it all begins. And then once you come to know Jesus, you have the capacity to grow further in this humility. But without him, you can't. All right? You can't. It's impossible. This is a divine work of God in our hearts. That's what's conveyed in Colossians 3 and verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, set apart unto him, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Did you catch that? Right at the beginning of that verse? As those who have been chosen of God. You've been elected before the foundation of the world. And in the providence of time, God drew you to himself. He saved you. You now have new life. And God is going to work that divine work of humility in your heart and life by his grace. And so I pray this morning that you have salvation in your heart through Christ. That is the beginning of pleasing him with a humble heart. That is my heart for you this morning. That's where it starts. Could there be someone here this morning that does not know Jesus as their Savior? Sure. I mean, I grew up in a church. First 16 years of my life, I professed Christ as Savior, and yet I did not know him. And then one day, by God's grace, he helped me to see my sin, and my heart submitted to him. And that's where humility began. And I'm still growing, and I will continue to grow. That's my heart for you this morning is that you come to know Christ as your Savior and begin that road with Jesus Christ, daily humbling you and growing you in Him, being more like Him and pleasing Him, all by His grace. Humility begins with salvation. Well, the next principle appropriately follows the first, and that is this. Humility comes by walking in the Spirit. Yes, by walking in the Spirit. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. As I told you, there are going to be a number of passages we are going to look at today. So have your Bibles ready to go. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16.
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition one to another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then the next few verses talk about what the flesh looks like. And then you go on in verse 22 where it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. All of those are embedded in humility. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And notice this, verse 26, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And so make it a matter of prayer to be strengthened in your heart with the power of the Spirit of God. In fact, this is what... Paul himself prayed for in Ephesians. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 16. Where it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Yes, make this a matter of prayer, to be strengthened in your heart by the Spirit of God. And then, when you are strengthened, notice what it says, beginning the practical section of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. You go later on in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice this. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. He's talking there about corporate worship of God. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, that's what happens. We corporately, as a church body and as individuals, lift up our hearts in praise and honor and worship of the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. Look what he goes on to say. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Giving thanks for all things. (laughs) That takes humility. But he doesn't stop there. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Oh my, being subject to one another, that takes humility, right? And he goes on in the following passage to talk about wives being subject to their own husbands. Husbands loving your wives. Children obeying your parents. Fathers not provoking your children to anger. Slaves being obedient to your masters. All of that takes humility. It really does. But the only way we can do it is by God's grace through salvation and being filled with the Spirit. Well, beloved, this prayer of being filled with the Spirit is God's will, and thus it will be answered and fulfilled in a genuine heart. Yeah, Paul prayed for that. 
We should be praying for that. It is God's will. And when we pray according to God's will, we do see answers, right? Isn't that what the scriptures teach us? Yeah. So these first two principles really are general. They are. I would say to you, if you're saved and walking by the Spirit, (laughs) you'll be walking in humility. And we could actually stop right here. But I want to get a little bit more specific with the next eight principles. All right? Which brings us to number three. Humility comes through reading, hearing, and applying God's Word. All right? Humility comes through reading, hearing, and applying God's Word. A wonderful illustration of this is found in the Old Testament through the example of Josiah. I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. 2 Kings 22. Second Kings 22, verses 8 to 13. 2 Kings 22, beginning with verse 8. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan to read it. Shaphan the scribe came to the king, that is King Josiah and brought back word to the king and said, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Moreover, Shaphan the scribe told the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read it in the presence of the people. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Asiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning it. Now, I want you to listen to these words from Second Chronicles 34, 26, and 27 which is another extension of what we just read there in 2 Kings 22. It says these words, But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire the Lord, thus you will say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants. And because you humbled yourself before me, tore your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. That's quite insightful, isn't it? Yeah. It comes by reading, hearing, and applying God's Word. And so, beloved, may you be students of the Word, doing what it says as an act of worship. It's not just reading, not just hearing. All these are important. It's now being a doer of the Word, as James tells us. All because you love Him and desire to glorify Him. That's an attitude of humility. That leads right into the next principle. Number four, humility comes through much prayer. Yeah. (laughs) Humility comes through much prayer. 
Prayer deepens your dependence upon God and lifts your hearts in praise and thanksgiving to Him, all of which are characteristics of humility. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Peter is writing to believers who are suffering. And this is what he says near the end of his letter. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yeah. The way to be humble is to cast your cares upon the Lord. Again, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I appreciate what C.J. Mahaney said in Humility, True Greatness. I have to remember that whenever I feel buried under care, The real issue is pride and my self-sufficiency. I must deliberately and specifically cast my cares upon Him and thereby humble myself. Don't be mistaken. God hasn't gone anywhere. He's just as sovereign, just as good, just as faithful when I am buried under care as He was in those early hours of communion. The issue isn't God. It's my pride that resists trusting in Him through dependence upon Him. And so may you make, may you not make excuses for not being in prayer. We have every reason to seek Him in prayer, don't we? Don't we? You sure? I mean, you see all that's going on around you each and every day. Your hearts get anxious, don't they? Sure they do. But as you're in God's word, meditating upon its truth, being encouraged by the promises of God, and then bowing the the knee of your heart to the Lord in prayer, casting your care upon Him, yeah, you grow more and more in humility because our God's in control of all things. Now, since we're on the matter of prayer, there's another principle, which is a means of grace for you. And that is this, humility comes through repentance of sin. (laughs) Yeah. Humility comes through repentance of sin. You see, in true repentance, there is a godly sorrow over sin. Now, there is a worldly sorrow out there. But true repentance is godly sorrow. We see that so specifically stated by Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 11, sometime this week, just take the time to read through that portion of Scripture as Paul was confronting the church at Corinth. But it's godly sorrow over your sin where you grieve in your heart and how much you have hurt Him, where you accept His view of your spiritual condition and deserve judgment, and where you acknowledge your sin as He sees it. Again, another perfect illustration is one with which we are very, very familiar. (laughs) Psalm 51, right? Let's go there. Psalm 51. This is David, a man after God's own heart. But he committed adultery with Bathsheba. It was Nathan the prophet that confronted him. 
And he truly repented. He had godly sorrow in his heart. And so what did he pray to the Lord here in Psalm 51? Just listen to some of these words, the heartbeat of this repentance. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. And so may confessing and turning from sin be the daily habit, daily habit of your life, which keeps you humble before Him. We sin daily, don't we? Maybe several times in a day. You don't have to wait till the morning. You don't have to wait till the evening to kind of catch up. No, as you sin and you are made aware of your sin in your attitude, in your thinking, in your behavior, in your speech. Acknowledge that to Him. Grieving in your heart because you have grieved God, your Creator, your Redeemer. And look to be restored. Enjoying that fellowship that you once enjoyed. Just as James 4, 8-10 to says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Humility comes through repentance of sin. Well, there's another significant principle. Humility comes through trials from God. Yeah. Humility comes through trials from God. As you know, God brings difficulties into our lives, directly and indirectly. And sometimes He'll even use Satan as an instrument (laughs) to bring trials into our lives. But it's all to shape you, to shape me into His image, as James 1, 2-5 tells us, right? Yeah. You see, through trials, He helps you to trust in Him. To find contentment in Him alone. Where you are rejoicing in His providential leading of your heart and life. For His purposes. You see, that's humility. Another good illustration of this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle himself. 2 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read verses 7 and following, but 
We've looked at this passage before in the first six verses. The Apostle Paul talks about how he was taken up into paradise. Well, they're in the body, out of the body. He doesn't know. He's not even able to share about all those experiences. But then we come to verse 7 where it says this, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason... To keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Who was in charge of that? God was. The instrument was a messenger of Satan. But God's still in control. And he's using that to keep the Apostle Paul humble. Always trusting in Him, finding His contentment in God and not in everything else. He goes on to say, verse 8, Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you hear what he said there in verse 10? Therefore, I am well content. That's a divine work of God in his heart. More often than not, when we have Weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. We get angry with God and say, I don't deserve this. Or we act as though we don't deserve that. God is sovereign. He's overseeing the whole process. He knows what's best for your heart. And He's humbling you. Thank Him for that. He's growing you through that. Listen to this story by C.J. Mahaney concerning his sister. I was really taken in by this this past week as I was reading through his book. He says, A few Christmases ago, as our extended family gathered to celebrate, Sharon's husband, Dave, mentioned some physical difficulties he was experiencing. So I gathered the family members to pray for him. No one imagined the source or the severity of the symptoms he described. Within a week... Dave was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was a particularly aggressive tumor, as we all soon learned. After surgery and unsuccessful chemotherapy, it wasn't long before Dave was brought home from the hospital and placed under hospice care to await what now appeared inevitable, and which indeed came quickly. The following July, Dave went to be with the Lord. During those last few weeks, Dave's bed was set up in the center of their living room where a parade of caring people visited him. Sharon would often sit beside him and stroke the hair of her husband, encouraging him with words of how wonderful a husband that he was, a godly parent that he was to his children. On one occasion, a relative of Dave was visiting, a man who was not a Christian, As he watched Sharon caring for Dave and thought about Dave's relative youth 
and the children he would leave behind, anger seemed to well up from within him. Anger directed at God whom Dave and Sharon were professing to believe in. He asked Sharon, why aren't you angry? Listen to her words. She turned to him and answered with the truth of the gospel. Dave deserved hell for his sins, just like you and me. And yet God in his mercy forgave him because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dave is going to heaven, she said. How could I be angry at God for taking him to heaven? It was an answer I'm sure he wasn't expecting and one that I doubt he'll ever forget. Yes, humility comes through trials from God. He knows what's best in our hearts and lives. And he does it because he loves us. And he wants us to become more like him. More like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the example of perfect humility. Now quickly to the next two principles. First, humility comes by meditating upon the attributes of God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Humility comes by meditating upon the attributes of God. There's a number of passages, actually, that we could turn to regarding this, but I'll only highlight two, all right? Go with me to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. You likely know where I'm going here. Isaiah chapter 6. just want to read the first Eight verses, Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood about him, each having six wings. With two they covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of Him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my lips have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this was touched, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And so, yes, Isaiah, the prophet, being introduced to the holiness of God, humbled him. And you know what? The same thing happened to David himself. Remember in Psalm 139? What three attributes of God are exalted there? His omniscience, his omnipresence. His omnipotence. He's dwelling upon all of that. And then how does he close that psalm? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. God, I can't hide from you. You see all. You see my sin. You know my sin better than I do. By your grace, help me to see what you already see. And in worship, 
We fall down. We acknowledge our sin before Him and we grow in humility. So may God help you in this discipline of grace. Just this past week, for example, I've been reading through the Psalms for the last month and a half. It's been a rich blessing. And I came across this one Psalm where the writer is just taking you through the history of Israel. And in staccato form, he's describing the miracles of God, one right after another. I got halfway through that psalm and I just had to stop for a moment and just meditate on the omnipotence of God. These people experienced as they were in the wilderness and yet they forsook God. I found my heart just lifting up in worship and praise to Him because of His great omnipotence. Yeah, that's what it does for us. If you're willing to discipline yourself to study God throughout the Scriptures, yeah, it can only do what? Humble you. (laughs) There's no way you can lift up your heart before Him. Well, then there's the other principle which goes right along with it. Humility comes by following the example of Christ. Who is what? God. Yeah. Humility comes by following the example of Christ. We read about this earlier in Philippians 2, 5-8, to remember? Right at the beginning. But again, there's a couple other passages that come to my mind. Turn with me to John 13. John 13. We were there a few months ago. John 13. Beginning with verse 12. John 13, beginning with verse 12. Speaking of Jesus, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now look with me at 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 19. 1 Peter 2. Verse 19. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated... You endure it with patience. You see, you deserve it. (laughs) But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Why? Verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. 
but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed. And so to know humility means being an imitator of God in Christ. Yeah, follow his example. That brings me to a ninth and very practical principle. Okay? Humility comes by serving others. Yes, by serving others. You know, beloved, God has graciously gifted each one of you as Christians. Why has he gifted you? It's to minister to others in the body with that gift that he has graciously given to you. Isn't that what the Bible teaches in Romans 12? Yeah. How about 1 Corinthians 12? How about 1 Peter 4? Yeah, all of those passages are given to encourage us to serve others with the gifts that he has given to you. You see, when you're focused on others, you're not focused on self. And that's when you best reflect Jesus. Look with me at Philippians 2. We were there earlier. Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. But he doesn't stop there. Here's the motivating factor. Verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you see that in the following verses. He did it perfectly. Humility comes by serving others. Jesus did that when he left the realms of glory, came here, took on humanity, and died the death of the cross. And that's why Jesus said in Mark 10, in verse 45, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life a ransom for many. Ask yourself, is my home life my church life, my work life about me? Or am I truly concerned for others? How am I demonstrating this? If I say that I'm concerned for others, how am I demonstrating this? You know, a great resource to guide you is 31 Ways to Be a One Another Christian by Stuart Scott. I didn't bring the book up. I have it. I know that we used it at family camp a few years back. I know there are a few Bible studies that are using it as well. 31 ways to be a one another Christian. It's by Stuart Scott. And uh, he basically goes through the New Testament and identifies all the one another scriptures. Yeah, and then just applies them. It's a very good resource, good for our hearts. And so may God help you to refocus, so to speak, see the needs of others and serve them. That is humility. It is. And if we're serious about it, we will grow incrementally at it and we'll just get better and better and better. Where we're exemplifying Jesus all for his glory. Amen.
Finally, I close with this principle here. And it's this. Humility comes by considering the consequences of pride. Yeah. Humility comes by considering the consequences of pride. I'm ending here as I began with these words from Solomon. What's that one passage I've been driving for the last month? Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The scriptures are lined, and I mean they are lined with people who fell because of their pride. God has recorded that in His Word so that we may see that and warn us. Lucifer, Satan, started with him. Eve, Haman in Esther, Nebuchadnezzar, the Edomites of Obadiah, right? The Pharisees, Diotrephes, that's just to name a few. And so may you not be one of them. Instead, be warned by these individuals and then be challenged to conduct yourselves in the fear of the Lord. How many of you know that little chorus, Joy? I'm almost afraid to sing it here, all right? Because I'm afraid you don't know it. But it, it, the lyrics go, Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. Jesus and others and you in the life of each girl and each boy. J is for Jesus who has first place. O is for others we meet face to face. Y is for you and whatever you do, put yourself last and spell joy. Do we know that? No. I figures. (laughs) Well, you got the message, right? (laughs) You got the message. If you're going to have true joy in your life, at the center of it must be humility. Yeah, Where God and others are priority. It comes back to the two great commandments. To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And I've captured that this morning in these principles that you heard, these ten principles. And so as you leave here today, I want you to have a little booklet Here it is, yeah. That Pastor Keith mentioned last week. I'm so glad that he stated this in the, in the benediction last week. It's Stuart's book, um, From Pride to Humility. Uh, this week we went and got a number of these booklets, at least one for every family here in this church. And so as you leave here this morning, make sure that you get one, okay? Um, yeah, it is, it's very good. It will define pride for you and get into some real intricacies regarding that. It'll also go to the other side of humility and define that and get into the intricacies of that. You will find yourself being humbled <laughs> as you read through this. And I trust that you will not just read it, but disciple your own heart as you work through it and also disciple the hearts of your family all for the glory of God let's pray Father thank you for your word this morning and again what a joy it is to just to think about this matter of pride and humility 
Indeed, the prescription for pride is humility, which can only be found through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I trust that we all today know Christ as our personal Savior. If there's some soul here that does not know Jesus, draw them to yourself. And, oh God, I pray that your people will take the things they've heard this morning, even applying the many resources that are available to help us in this way, so that we are people who are imitating God. All for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.